Welcome to our podcast once again, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. I'm your host, Lyne Dempsey. For those that don't know me, I'm the Senior Investigator with the North Carolina Dental Board. I'm on the CLEAR Board of Directors, as well as the current Chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee and Vice Chair for the Annual Conference Program Committee with CLEAR. As many of you may know, the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our podcast is a chance for you to hear about the latest and greatest in our community. Today, I'm joined by Donna Mooney Haywood, retired manager of regulatory affairs for the North Carolina Board of Nursing. I've known Donna for many years, and uh, she's also an instructor with CLEAR's NCIT programs as well as board member training. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here with you today. Great. Well, as I said, I've known you for many years, uh, worked with you on NCIT as an instructor as well. A lot of our visitors and, and listeners may not know you, so if you would kind of tell me about your background and, and what you're doing now. Okay. My background, I uh, graduated from uh, Western Carolina University several years ago uh, with a BS in nursing. And so my background is in healthcare primarily. That's kind of how I got to the nursing board. I did clinical practice for a number of years before being recruited by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation to come to work on one of their white-collar crime units. It was then called the Drug Diversion Unit. Um, It's now Drug Diversion and Environmental Crimes Unit. But... um, it was there that I got my first introduction, really, to regulation, not not just the criminal aspects of behaviors, but to regulation, because we were investigating uh, healthcare professionals that misuse their privilege uh, in handling controlled substances. Uh, after working with them for three years, I went to work with the Board of Nursing and, as you said, ended up with seven titles over that period of time, <laughs> with the last one being Manager of Regulatory Affairs. The thing that used to bug me the most was that being a nurse and coming from that background of you know nurses and healthcare professionals, licensees are held to a higher standard than than the public at large, I was always disheartened to see the number of drug cases that came before us. If I looked at our investigative load, uh, probably about half of what we investigated had to do with drugs, whether alcohol, you know, diversion, or misuse of prescription drugs, and there was no end to it. You know, initially it was a stigma to it. Then we went through phases over the years where alternative programs were developed, and you know, we went through the phases where healthcare professionals were taken out in handcuffs, and you know, it was more criminalized. And yet, here we are, for me, 30 plus years from when I began this, and we still have the same problems. They're not being addressed, and. Now it seems that it's even spread beyond just license leads into the, the general public. And we, we're not doing something right. We've got to find a way to deal with these problems. Well, that is an absolutely great introduction to kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, there is a drug crisis, and, and, and how it affects regulation is very important. Um, obviously, it's a, a timely topic as regulatory boards try to both react 
and be proactive in dealing with this issue. Um, obviously, it has interest to you um, from the start. Um, I guess what what are your concerns right now? Well, they they are growing. My concerns first have to do with the the licensees themselves. You know, obviously, you know, our, we all here we're there to protect the public, and so the public needs to be in that equation. But we seem to be sending a message that it it's okay. Drug use is okay. I know, and many of the folks listening will probably remember, Donna was never a big friend of alternative programs. You know, I understand why they are there. You know, we have invested a lot of money, a lot of time into licensees, but then we put them right back into the same environment, and we aren't, I don't want to use the word cure, because we all know there is no cure to substance right. abuse. It's a lifelong progress. But we aren't making an impact. You know, if I look back over my tenure uh, with the board, I can remember people coming through for the third and the fourth time. You know, you, you go through, lose your license, you go through rehab, you come back, you have a clean period for a while, you get back to work, you relapse, and just watching that cycle go on and on, it's not good for the professions. It's not good for the public. Well, clearly, um, at least I feel that. You know, licensees should be held to a higher standard. Um, how how do you think that should be as far as, should it be more stringent for licensees and members than the public at large as far as repercussions to this? Yes, I do believe it should be more stringent for licensees. We are there to protect people. If I'm high, I can't do my job effectively, and I, I'm not safe to be taking care of you or anybody else at that point. Um, I, the, an example I often use when I was doing programs related to substance abuses is that if I was a bank teller and I stole money, embezzled money from the bank, they're going to arrest me, I'm going to do jail time, I'm eventually going to get out, but I'm never going to work in the banking industry again. But we take healthcare professionals. And it's, I'm not talking just about nurses. I'm talking about physicians. I'm talking about dentists. I'm talking about all of the helping professions that have access to prescription drugs. You know, we, we take that person and we say, admit to us you have a problem, and they do. And we do want to help, but that help may or may not actually affect their license. And as a member of the public who I think I have the right to know uh, who my practitioners are, um, I don't get access to that information. I cannot make an informed decision as to whether or not I really want this anesthesiologist to give me anesthesia tomorrow or this nurse domesticist to give me anesthesia because I don't really have access to what occurred there. So, you know, but if I go to a contractor's board and want to find out what's happened, I, I've got their history not only from their board, but from the Better Business Bureau, right. you know. So I, I don't think we're equitable there, and I think, you know, that we have to do something so that the public feels they're getting the information they need and they're safe, and that we are putting safe practitioners out there that can reasonably be monitored. Right. Well, that brings us back to something that you mentioned earlier, and you're maybe not a huge fan of, um, but um, alternative, to discipline, di alternative to discipline programs. 
you know, here in the dental board, we have the caring dental professions, um, where it's an opportunity for them to, to, to seek treatment and, and maybe, at least on our end, it's not necessarily avoiding discipline. There's usually, you know, some discipline that's tied in and, and requirements, and they're more of the monitoring side of things. But I guess, what is your thought about these alternative discipline programs um, and the help in the drug crisis? Um, you know, and if, if they are or, or not, uh, why not? I think they do. I think there's value to them. This is to give somebody that first chance. You know, drug and substance use is usually a choice. You know, there are people that back into it. I recognize you got that overprescribing physician. You have people that have that personality that may tend to abuse things that they receive legitimately, but. Um, it's still a choice whether or not I take that pill, whether I smoke the marijuana, whether, you know, whether I go out on the street and buy the drugs. So for me, I would give them the, the, the opportunity first. Okay, you made a mistake. Maybe your judgment was impaired um, that caused you to get into problems. You know, maybe there's some underlying causes that need to be dealt with rather than just putting you in a program. But after that first time, as far as I'm concerned, I think that ought to be discipline and it needs to be public so that people understand there are consequences to your actions. That makes great sense. Uh, so should there be, one of the things that we're dealing with now, and I know uh, Canada's you know, passed legislation um, uh, concerning marijuana, should there be different approaches, um, and I'm not talking about legal versus illegal uh, in that way, but should there be different approaches depending on the type of drug that's being used, and we'll call that recreational versus a diverted uh, medication? Yes, but I don't have the answers as to, you know, what I really think that should look like. I, I think that the prescription drug misuse often is, is it's, it's a choice, as, as I said, about whether you take that pill or not but that there may be other things there. There may be legitimate pain that's causing this, that's causing you to take the medications that causes you to, you know, want to be pain-free. So it's a, you're ordered one every four hours, but I'm going to take two because I really feel better with the two. So I, I can see how people can get into uh, issues um, on their own. But when I go out on the street and buy marijuana, or when I go to that shop now <laughs> that you can go to and get marijuana or, you know, on the street and it's meth, it's cocaine, whatever the drug is, the resurgence with heroin, you know, that is truly a choice. That's not, it may be about pain, but it's not about, you know, it's not the same thing as in my way of thinking. Right. Um, so do you think that those practitioners should be disciplined differently? Yes. How so? Um, I could see taking more harsh action with that crowd because that usually that is you're into illegal activity as well. We're not just talking a misuse of your own prescription, you know, even though you might have illegally obtained the prescription, done a little doctor shopping along the way, but it's it's not the same. And that involves criminal and when we're getting into those criminal elements, I think we need to be more cautious because people that are willing to make those choices are probably not going to make good decisions as practitioners as well. Just about all of us in our practice have something that speaks to 
to criminal convictions, you know, felonies and misdemeanors. And so I'm not sure we ought to be, well, I am pretty sure, I don't think we ought to be giving a, a free ride to somebody who has committed a felony, whether convicted or not, but has committed a felonious act just because they have a substance abuse problem. Gotcha. Now, I guess one last thing, uh, looking at a practitioner that maybe is either uh, utilizing um, you know, street drugs versus prescription medication, um, has a, a moment of clarity, seeks help before his licensing agency knows about this, um, goes through maybe one of the, the programs, the alternative to discipline programs. I mean, I guess you could call it that, although nobody knows about it except for him and the, and the program, he or she and the program. Um, when they relapse, and heaven forbid that they do, but you know, studies show at least specifically with your experience in the nursing board, there's been a lot of relapse. But when they relapse, are they held as that this is the first strike or is that the second strike? How would, how would you handle that? Hmm, that's interesting. I would probably count that as the first strike because they, they made that decision themselves. They weren't wait, you know, it wasn't until they, they waited until they were caught right. kind of thing. They, they recognized there was a problem. Uh, they had the, the mature judgment to try to find a way to deal with it. They dealt with it. They went to the appropriate people. They followed the program. I, I would count that as, you know, if they relapse, they come back. This is their first strike. Great. Well, I think we could go on and on for, for hours. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Um, it's always good to sit down and chat with you. Um, I also want to thank our listeners um, for being a part of this program today. Um, we'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. Please subscribe to our podcast. We have it available in a lot of different means. Uh, it's available on, on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn. If, you're, if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please leave a rating and a comment in the app. It's always helpful for us, and your reviews help us improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free to visit our website at www.clearhq.org for additional resources and a calendar of upcoming training programs and events. Finally, I'd like to thank our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson, our content coordinator and editor for our program. I'm Lyne Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking with you very soon. And again, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, one of the rare times when we actually get to sit down face-to-face. Uh, so the sound may not be as good as our normal quality, but I appreciate you enjoying it, and um, we'll hopefully talk to you soon.